Even if your neighbor doesn't go to church, I bet the odds are pretty good that she's familiar with the story of Joseph. It's amazing that one of the most important stories in the Old Testament, in fact, it, it takes up like 14 chapters at the end of the book of Genesis. That story is so compelling that Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber took that story and over time crafted it into a smash hit Broadway musical. Joseph and his, the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And I've never seen it on Broadway, but the odds are pretty good that most of us have seen it somewhere because over 20,000 times since, uh, since that was written, that's been used by high school or community theaters to tell the story, the amazing story of Joseph. And for some of the same reasons that it makes for incredible entertainment are the very reasons I believe that God has included it in his scripture. Because this is such a human story. It's such a relatable story. It has so many moments that touch on so many of the emotions and experiences. It touches on our, on our fear and on our hatred. It touches on our perseverance and, 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 and moments of hope. It touches on moments when we wonder, like, where is God in all of this? It has its ups and has its downs. It begins with a tragic story of a broken family and ends with a very powerful moment as we see grace and forgiveness triumph over hate and evil. The theme verse in Joseph's story is found in the last chapter in verse 20, and I'm not sharing it now to kind of spoil the story because you, I'm sure you probably know how it ends. But this verse is important to keep in mind as we walk through this story and, and, and we're wondering, where is God in all of this? Genesis 50, verse 21 says, as Joseph is speaking to his brothers that are literally shaking in fear because in their hatred they had done something, something awful to him and we're wondering now if uh, justice would have its reward and, and he would uh, treat, treat them according to their deeds. Joseph said surprisingly this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So we're going to start in, in uh, Genesis 37, verse 1, and just take a look at the first uh, 11 verses of Joseph's story, reading in Jesus' name. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan, this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. 
And this time, the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. <laughs> when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his father kept the matter in mind. So as you can probably tell here, Jacob's family, the family that Joseph grew up in, had issues. And his special treatment of Joseph didn't help. You know, family systems are a staple for uh, TV. In fact, those, those family sitcoms or dramas have e evolved over the years. And in the early years, they were quite simple and quite sanitized and kind of, kind of gave the, uh, the impression of the ideal family life in America with little flaws or, uh, or struggles. Certainly that has changed. I think, I think, uh, uh, the story of Jacob and Joseph and their family probably would not have been on early TV. Little too much complexity, a little too much drama, and certainly many issues. I think today it might be very popular. You might find it streaming, uh, today as a, as a popular series because we seem to relate to the struggles of others. Perhaps that's one reason the story of Joseph is so relatable. And we wonder, you know, if, if we were in charge of writing the story of God, perhaps we would choose to frame characters who seemed more noble, who seemed more exemplary. And certainly uh, some of the characters in, in, in uh, Joseph's family tree had some of those uh, reflections of, of God at work in their lives. But one thing God was careful to do as he left us a record of his working in the human family, and that is not to edit out the flaws. You see, the story of God is a story of God at the center. It is not a story of aspiring to be like people who seem to have no flaws. It's a story of a, of a God who, who, who comes to us and meets us in the midst of our flaws. In fact, at times, even, even takes those flaws and, 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 and takes those weaknesses and even takes some of those sins and uses them for his purposes, as we will see in the story of Joseph. See, if you ask Joseph to describe his family, I think he might say it's complicated. Let me tell you a little bit about where he came from. Joseph's dad, Jacob, was the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham. He had quite a heritage. Jacob went to find a wife, and, and coming upon the area where Laban lived, he spotted this beautiful shepherdess, and he fell in love with her immediately. Her name was Rachel, so he arranged to meet her dad, Laban, and, and, and they talked about the future, and, and Jacob agreed to work for seven years that he might have beautiful Rachel's hand in marriage. Now, as it worked out, as the wedding day came about and the community was celebrating and it came time for, for the, for this new couple to go into the bridal tent and seal the deal, so to speak, Laban deceptively, somehow Rachel was taken from the tent and her older sister Leah took her place. And believe me, I can't explain how this could happen, but somehow Joseph or excuse me, Jacob, entered the tent and, and spent the night thinking it was Rachel, and it was actually her older sister, Leah. Wow, 
That's a warning not to have too much wine at the wedding. (laughs) Well, he woke up in the morning and he had a wife all right, but it was not the wife that he had loved and worked for. It was her sister. And so uh, he visited with Laban again and he arranged for Rachel to, to still be his wife. And can you imagine the dynamic in that household with Rachel and Leah and Jacob? Well, God had a soft spot for Leah, this woman who was living unloved in this home. And so as children came along, it was Leah's child first, and Leah's child second, Leah's child third, Leah's child fourth, as Rachel remained remained with empty arms. Now, Rachel had an idea here that, that if she was not able to bear a child herself, that she would have children through her servant, Bilhah. So she presented her servant, Bilhah, to to Jacob and and technically gave her to him as his wife. And sure enough, Bilhah bore two sons, which Rachel kind of considered her own. Not to be outdone, Leah. Leah arranged for her servant girl, Zilpah, to also be given to Jacob that he might bear children through her. Sure enough, she bore two children herself. Leah would later go on to have two more sons, and, and, and for the first time in Jacob's house, they heard the exclamation, it's a girl, <laughs> as Leah bore Dinah, the first girl in the family. And if you've been keeping count now, we've got, uh, we've got Leah with six sons and a daughter, we've got Bilhah with two sons, and we've got Zilpah with two sons, and Rachel is still bearing the burden of her infertility. About this point in the story, God has, 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 looks down on Rachel and, and, and Jacob, and, and in their old age, they are blessed with a son. The son of their old age. His name was Joseph. Rachel would bear one more child, and, and his name would be Benjamin. Unfortunately, um, she, would, she would die during childbirth, which left Jacob with 12 sons and a daughter. By the way, this interesting mix of humanity became the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. These are the people that God chose to carry on his story. Well, that's Jacob's family, and it might help help, uh, in understanding a bit of the tension When this 17-year-old kid comes in from the field and gives a bad report on his brothers, the two sons of Bilhah and the two sons of Zilpah, there's a tension that's growing. But when this 17-year-old kid now, who's, who's walking around in this ornate robe, in, in uh, the King James Version, it calls it a coat of many colors. And I think we all like that description better. So when we think of Joseph, we think of a coat of many colors. Whether it was an ornate robe or a coat of many colors or whatever, it's not so much what the coat looked like or the robe looked like. It's what it said about the one who was wearing it. A few years back, Men's Warehouse, uh, uh, a retailer of men's clothing, had a, had a marketing campaign, and I remember a couple phrases from that campaign. It said, the way you dress says a lot about you. 
And secondly, they gave this kind of promise that if you, uh, if, if you wore their clothing, he says, you'll love the way that you look. Well, Joseph's robe did say a lot about him. It said, I'm the prince of this family. It made very clear that he was the favored one, the favorite one, the one that dad loved the most. And, and when his brothers saw that robe, it's not so much that it, was, that it was so ornate and they wished they had one, but they understood what it said. What it said was about relation, Joseph's relationship to, to his father, that he was loved, that he was loved in his relationship to them, that he was actually loved more than they were. So we sense this in their, in, their, uh, in, their, in their description of Joseph. It says in verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And that was before Joseph had the dream. Joseph approached his brothers in the special coat, the special robe, and he says, hey guys, I had a dream. And he is quick to tell them about the dream. It's a dream that takes place in the harvest field, as we heard in the text. It is a dream where, where, where they were uh, harvesting grain and, 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 sh- and sheaving it, putting it in sheaves. And Joseph says, it was amazing because my sheaf stood up in the middle of the field And you know what happened next? Your sheaves all came and gathered around mine and bowed down. Oh, man. Can you imagine what his brothers were feeling at that time? Well, you don't have to imagine. Because in verse 5 we read, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. As he recounted the dream to his brothers, they said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And again, it says, they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Three times in this short section of scripture, it's made very clear to to us how much Joseph's brothers hated him. Yeah, it kind of reminds you of that Taylor Swift song, right? Haters gonna hate, 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 hate. Shake it off. Shake it off. Okay, maybe that was a little cheesy. But these guys thoroughly hated their brother. And you know, he seemed almost oblivious to it. It it seemed that he did shake it off. So here we have a story unfolding at the beginning of of an important narrative in God's uh, dealing with his people. And, and, and Joseph has another dream, a second dream. Dreams were very significant in the lives of ancient Israel. Dreams were, were, were where God seemed to, 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 to reveal um, himself and his future to his people. Joseph has a second dream, very similar to the first. This is about the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowing down to him, Joseph says. Whoa. We aren't told, again, that his brother hated him even more. We told, we're told that they are now jealous. That they are jealous of him. Yeah, just kind of think about that. Think about the toxic mixture of hatred and jealousy. 
And you might be thinking, I bet this story's not going to go well. Actually, the favorite son even has his dad's attention here. And, and his dad, it says that, that his dad rebuked him. He says, he says son, are you saying that, that even your mother and I are going to bow down to you? <laughs> he rebuked him. He criticized him sharply for what he has said. But Joseph was simply sharing what God had revealed to him. Maybe we've got questions at this point, like why did Joseph treat his one son this way if he knew what it, was, what it would do to his family? Why would God give this 17-year-old kid who seemed so full of himself, why would he give them this dream that will continue to intensify the hatred and the enmity in this family? brothers were filled with hate and jealousy. His dad said, listen, son, enough of that. But the last phrase in our our text for today says this. His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. His father kept the matter in mind. In the midst of time times where things are going on and, 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 and they're disturbing and we kind of wonder uh, why they're happening and look for reasons why they're happening and people to blame why they're happening. And in the midst of this, we can, get, we can find ourselves being almost captive to the tyranny of our wits and our frustration and our confusion. We see Jacob here giving us a bit of hope. As even though he didn't understand, he kept this in mind. He had walked with God long enough to understand that there are times in life when God is much more active than we can see, much more present than we know, very aware, in fact, working out his purposes in ways that seem hidden to us. This certainly was the case with Joseph. We're living in, in days where, where we not only have the, the perplexity of what's next with the pandemic, we're, we're again sensing now the important emotions that are arising over an issue in our culture, racial injustice that has yet to, to, to come to a, a peaceful and just settlement. And sadly, there's lots of hatred flaring up in different sides of different issues these days. You see, it's not just the ancients. We have issues too. And yet, like Jacob, we can take a breath. We can pause and remember in the midst of the fray, even when we don't understand, that God is aware, that even when we don't see it, we can trust him that he is working out his plan. We just might not understand how for now. But he's not out of the picture as Joseph's family would one day see. Jacob, or Jacob was right to keep this matter in mind. Let me close by taking an image out of this story and bringing it forward to reflect on Jesus, our Savior. Certainly, Jesus is never referred to in the New Testament as a kind of Joseph. But when we see salvation at work, when we see God carrying out his plan, we as Christians who understand the miracle that he has done for Jesus, 
See pictures of him all over the Old Testament. And I think we're going to see more than one picture of Jesus in the story of Joseph. This is what came to mind. There was a time when Jesus stood wearing a robe. It was an elegant robe. It was a robe fit for royalty. Jesus was wearing that robe not by his own choice. But Herod demanded that it be placed upon Jesus. Jesus was caught in kind of a cruel game between Pilate and Herod, both of them curious about Jesus, not knowing what to do about Jesus. Herod certainly feeling the pressure to deal with Jesus in a very brutal and final way. In Luke uh, 23, verse 11, as Pilate had sent Jesus to Herod, as Jesus' death sentence was unfolding and his accusers were spewing hate, hateful lies, we read, when Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. Wow. Where was God in the midst of that moment? Well, the father was watching his son being mocked and eventually brutalized. His son being hated. His son who would, as he laid having his hands nailed to a Roman execution cross, would say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus' son, or God's son, Jesus, stood in the midst of haters knowing that one day what they would soon do to him would be their hope, would be their salvation. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross would not be a reward for the righteous who somehow deserved salvation, but it would be God's mercy and his grace extended for sinners like us who desperately need him. Jesus is still the hope for sinners, even the hope for haters. And God is in the midst of our brokenness and our issues, working out his plan to save us. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, and are very aware of the wonder of your, of your love, the, the perfection of your wisdom, the, the, the timing that you have is perfect, and you have manifested and revealed your faithfulness and your love and your mercy throughout the ages from the ancients until now. And we, we understand that in the middle of that story stands our Savior who wore a robe and, and, and they mocked him as, as the king that he actually was. And they took it off him and, and he was sent to the cross to die that those who mocked him then and those of us at times who disregard him now might turn to him in faith and hear those words, Father, forgive them and understand that he is our hope, he is our life, he is our salvation. We think of, of the, the young son who had gone and, and wasted his life in selfish indulgence and when he came to his sentence, senses, he he thought of home and he thought of his dad and, and feared that, that he didn't deserve to be, to be a son again and maybe he could be a servant. And as he came towards home, he saw his father 
filled with compassion, who ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. As the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I'm sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy. His father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead. He's alive. He was lost and is found. Father, we thank you that you came, that you sent your son into this world to die on a cross, that we might receive a robe of righteousness that says something about us. Not that we were worthy, but that we've been treated by your loving grace and declared to be your children because of what Jesus has done for us. Bless us as we walk uh, through the story of Joseph. May we have many moments where we see that you are sovereign and involved in ways that we would never expect in Joseph's life and ours. And most of all, we might we see that in Jesus, you truly are our hope. We pray this in his name. Amen.